With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide resources and care for those who are most in need. To help, LinkedIn is offering free job posts for healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill critical roles with the people who help us all. If you're hiring for one of these organizations, job posts on LinkedIn can help you quickly find the right people for your frontline. LinkedIn can help you find frontline workers from its active community of over 675 million members. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates for the skills and the experience that you're looking for, and it puts your job post in front of qualified people who meet your requirements, so you can find the right person to quickly fill critical roles. To post a healthcare or essential service job for free, or if you're in another industry and you have hiring needs, visit linkedin.com slash Rome. Again, linkedin.com slash R-O-M-E. Terms and conditions do apply. A lot of these young athletes today, I hope they understand that, you know, this could be over in the blink of an eye also. Appreciate every day and, and work at it every day and give it your best every day because when it's over, it's over. My what-ifs, I don't have one what-if, and that's uh, pretty good for my mental state. Hey now, what's cracking? Welcome to episode 132 of the Jim Rohn Podcast. My guests this week are Jimmy Connors and his son Brett. Together, they host the Advantage Connors Podcast, and I am pumped to have both of them sitting together and taking a break from theirs in order to do mine this week. Jimmy, of course, is an absolute legend. He won eight Grand Slam titles. He also held the world number one spot for a total of 268 weeks. He still has the record for most open-era tournament wins ever. Jimmy's got stories for days, and Brett adds the perfect color and perspective as somebody who grew up all around it. So let's get this thing started. Episode 132 is coming at you right now. Jimmy, Brett, it is so good to have you guys both on the podcast. Jimmy, let me start with you. It's been a little while since you and I got caught up, but you and Brett have busted out with your own podcast. It's called Advantage Connors. Jimmy, at this point in your life, you can do whatever the hell you want. Why did you want to jump into this space, and what are you looking to do with your platform, Jimmy? Yeah, you, you know, Jimmy, it's, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I, it's, uh, I, I've always, you know, kind of wanted to, to do something and uh, on the radio or uh, you know, to, to have a voice and talk about tennis and, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, things that go on over the course of uh, uh, not only my day, but everybody's day. And, and uh, uh, Brett and I were sitting around, I, I guess, uh, uh, Brett, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was uh, uh, during the Australian Open, and uh, all of a sudden he says, you know, why don't we uh, sit down and talk a little bit about, you know, gambling, and, uh, which has uh, started to come into tennis now a little bit, and, and start talk about the Australian Open and the odds and who you think is going to win, who's a dark horse. And, you know, so we, uh, we kind of sat down, talked about it, and filmed it a little bit and, and uh, you know, came up with, uh, you know, a, a pretty good project. So, uh, you know, it's fun, it's fun for me but to do, but it, it's more fun that I get to do it with Brett. 
and and uh, he, he's on his own down in San, in Santa Monica, and and uh, you know I don't get to see him as much as I'd like, and this kind of uh, brought us together a little bit more, and uh, you know so I can uh, see him and and also uh, you know hear his views because you know his time around tennis with you know his business is uh, in production and and uh, in, in, uh, for tennis and. He watches more tennis than anybody, so he kind of keeps me up to date when I'm uh, falling behind. Hey, Brett, let me let me just jump in, Brett. I got to ask you because I want to know what it was like, not only growing up with Jimmy Connors as your dad, but Ilya Nastasi as your godfather. Because it sounds cool as shit, was it? Oh yeah, I mean, definitely cool. You know, I think uh, everybody knows those guys for all their antics on the court, and then the personality and the bad boy stuff. But um, you know, to me, growing up, he was just dad. You know, he was just just my pops, and and that was just Uncle Nasty. You know, I didn't even question why. You know, his name was Uncle Nasty until I was a little bit older. Great. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, it's just uh, it, it was great. I, I had a you know kind of a privileged childhood growing up around all those guys. You know, able to travel and be a part of the tour and and uh, have that during my upbringing. And I think um, you know that's benefited me in my career and doing stuff in tennis and production. And you know, being able to do this with pops has been really cool, just because. You know, he's kind of got the, the old school on lockdown, and, you know, he knows all the old players and the old styles and everything, and, and then I'm able to kind of, you know, bring the, bring the new school and a little bit of what's going on today, and, and, and I think it's a good mix. Listen, I love this. Jimmy, I, wanna, I don't want this, I don't want to lose this point, because I think that when you say what you said about Brett, I get this, because I've got a couple of teenage sons right now, and I literally can't wait until they're old enough for me to throw back a couple with them because I know it's going to be a great time. Now that Brett is a little bit older, what's it like to hang with him and then to collaborate on a project like this with your son? Well, <laughs> you know, hang, I'm, I'm learning things. Uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, uh, I've been you know, kind of away for a while, Jim, and, and uh, you know, to, to get back into it and, you know, get the feel of, uh, you know, really uh, of ten, not not only just tennis, but you know the way things really are, and and I, I've I've kind of kept mostly to myself over the last number of years, and and uh, have enjoyed that. But you know, hanging with Brett, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not afraid to say it. Brett's forty, and and you know, time has hey, passed. Hey, hey. hey, that's okay. <laughs> you know, time has passed uh, very quickly, and for me, I look back, and uh, you know, I was traveling an awful lot while he was growing up, and. Even though uh, my family w- uh, was able to come with me quite a bit, I, I certainly did miss a little bit o- along the way, and and uh, so you know catching up and and figuring uh, a lot of things out, uh, you know from now from then till now has been great. But you know Brett is um, he's modern day, uh, and in in more things than just tennis, and and uh, you know to to sit down and, and to talk with him and, and to get his views and. You know, get a, a different perspective and a, and a different understanding of you know uh, the way a lot of things are, and and uh, so it's you know it's good for me because he keeps me up to date and uh, you know keeps my mind sharp. And you know, with uh, being under quarantine, that's a, that's been an important thing to try to find a way to keep busy. And uh, he certainly has uh, kept me busy. You know, Brett, I, I can just tell the the affinity and the love and the, the respect that you two guys have for each other. It's very obvious. Like, Brett, one of my favorite topics is this whole na- notion of nature versus nurture. Like you said, you had kind of a privileged upbringing. You know, Pops came up gritty, East St. Louis. I'm kind of curious. Like, your dad, like Jimmy, was running on some crazy rocket fuel his whole career. Like, if you could bottle that stuff, it would be the best thing ever. Jimmy was so fierce. I'm kind of curious. Do you think that's nature or nurture? For instance, when you came out, were you hardwired the same way? How much of that bread is environment and culture? Like, do you have that same fire in your gut that he did? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I have some of it in me. I'm, I'm super competitive, you know, with anything I do. I mean, I grew up playing golf and, and some tennis when I was younger. But it, I think I'd have to say maybe it's a little more environment. You know what I mean? I think just being around him and, and absorbing, you know, his way of attacking things and looking at things and the way, you know, how hard he worked and how hard he practiced. And, you know, I used to go train with him when, you know, when he was, you know, in the off season. I'd go run these hills with him when I was, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old and, you know, make it halfway up the hill and he just keeps going and leaves me in the dust. You know, so, I, you know, I think it's a little bit of both, but, you know, I think I picked up a lot of it just from being around him so much. You know, I traveled a lot with him, probably a lot more than most kids my age are able to, and, you know, I think some of it definitely rubbed off. Jimmy, you, of course, won 109 ATP events, eight Grand Slams. You were a top-ranked player in the world, but you've been really clear about this, that the best weeks of your entire career involved a tournament that you didn't win. Of course, that was the 91 U.S. Open. For those who do not know or remember the extraordinary circumstances, Jimmy, of those two weeks, why were they the most memorable of your career? I, I think most of uh, the, the one thing that, that really stands out from those two weeks, Jim, is, is, uh, is the noise that the crowd made. Uh, and and that's that's what I, I wanted my whole career is that uh, the fans would would get into it like that like a hockey game or a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game and just you know really really lose it and 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 get involved and, and feel like they were down there playing and you know I, I played for over 20 years on on the tour and and even though I was striving to 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 try to get that throughout the course of those years. I never really figured that I had found it uh, in, until those two weeks because the noise there was deafening. Uh, and, you know, whether they, you know, uh, liked me, they didn't like me, they wanted me to retire, they wanted me to stay around, you know, the idea was that they were there and, and that they were they, they could identify with, with a guy that, that truly loved what he did. And had the passion for it every time he walked out on the court, and and, and was not afraid to show that, uh, and and that and I think that caught on to the point where you know uh, after after so many years that of leaving my DNA out on that court, and and uh, you know and and you know it, my my line with that, uh, Jim, is you know in New York you leave your DNA there. They like that, you know. At Wimbledon they ask you to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you Great. know, and and but the the New York crowd and what they gave me and and the 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 noise and and the the feeling of of of, of welcome uh, that uh, that they had given me because I had missed it the year before. I had reconstructive wrist surgery and. Didn't know if I was going to play uh, ever play tennis again, and, uh, and and the welcome that they gave me back, and and then the 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 way they got behind me and and pushed me because let's face it, I mean I should have been out in the first round, you know, if if it wasn't for that crowd, and and you know along the way, you know they pushed me, and the harder they pushed me, the more I wanted to to play for them. So it was uh, it was beyond a perfect match, you know, throughout the course of my career. But those two weeks was you know, was perfection. Right, now, speaking of the wrist surgery, Jimmy, you may remember this. I'm sure you do. Brett, I don't know if you know this story, but I think as somebody in the media business, Brett, I think maybe you'll relate to this. On the way up, when I was I was in Santa Barbara because I went to UC Santa Barbara, and Jimmy, I'm sure at that time you had no idea who I was because I was a young reporter on the way up, but we actually had a mutual friend, if you can believe this, and that mutual friend was a guy named Dr. Rich Scheinberg, and he was the one that did the surgery on Jimmy's wrist, and the reason I knew him was I knew another guy named Kim Olson that I used to play tennis with because I played tennis in high school in the Valley, Brett, so we used to go to... Mm-hmm. 
some of the mansions in Montecito because my guy Olson owned an insurance company and he tried to hustle business. So we would get on these courts with these rich guys. And as you guys know, sports is the great equalizer, right? These rich guys sucked. None of them could play a lick, but we used to tank all these matches, Jimmy, so my guy could get business, but he would never get any business, and we'd get our asses kicked, and I'm like, what are we doing here? It's the biggest waste of time, and my guy would say to me, hey, man, shut your mouth. We'll go to Harry's Plaza Cafe. We'll get a couple of bloodies. I'll pay for it, and this went on and on and on, and we never got anywhere. Point of the story is, the doc says to me one day, guys, he says, Jim, you know I did Jimmy's surgery. And you know the doc, he's kind of laid back and quiet. Right. I'm like, are you kidding? You you did? This was because there was no social media. This wasn't news. And Jimmy, you were you're very private. And yeah. I said, that's amazing. He says to me, would you like to interview him? I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. You think he would do it? He goes, I think he would. Meet us at Santa Barbara City College on the track. That's right. Jimmy's working. Jimmy's working. Mm-hmm. So we did the interview. I mean, like, fun fact. Where am I going with this? Nowhere other than to say, Jimmy, that's how you and I met initially, but that was he did your surgery. Now, the doc. The doc said to you at one point, Jim, I, I need to have a conversation with you. What was the conversation with Doc Scheinberg? Yeah, I mean, you you, uh, you mentioned that story, Jim. I remember that story well, and... and uh, you know, going, uh, you know, after I did that, I, I'd, I'd been through a year of just nothing, and uh, I couldn't play. My wrist was bad. I would sporadically go out and try to play a tournament, and, you know, I just, you know, I wasn't myself. So if I wasn't myself, I didn't re- really want to play. And so I went and tried a, an event in Europe and, and uh, got hammered and got on a plane and came back. And I, I, I remember calling Doc, and I said, uh, geez, Doc, I said, you know, it's uh, just, just not working out. He says, uh he says, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're back home? And I said, yeah, I'm back home. He says, you're, you're in seeing me tomorrow at 9 o'clock. And, and I said, Jesus, Doc, I just got home. He says, you're finished. Mm-hmm. If you don't come in, you, you, you can't play. I said, you, you're not, you're, you don't want to go play like that. You're not your, yourself. You're not playing up to your own uh, expectations. So I went in, and, and, uh, and he went in, and, and I went in to see him. He went in my wrist. <laughs> And uh, you know, tried to find out what was wrong, and uh, and, and I, I was awake while it, while the whole thing went on, Jim. I mean, it was an incredible thing, and talking to him, and and after an, after about an hour and twenty five minutes, he says, "I got to close up now. You can't uh, you can't your arm can't be like this for any longer." He closed up, and he and I'll never forget the words he said. He says, "This is either going to it's either going to work for for the rest of your life, or you'll be done in five minutes." Hmm. And you know that's that was a little that's heavy, a uh, little heavy. Yeah, and uh, you know, but it, it was right. So I mean, I I, I went home and and uh, was depressed. Uh, you know, was down. You know, I mean, every everybody else is out training and playing tennis, and you know, which was my job, which is what I wanted to do. And uh, you know, so I, I really didn't uh, you know didn't figure out anything for for weeks. And until until Doc Doc finally knocked on my door because I know he had been talking to my wife Patty, and and just you came in and he says this is unacceptable. He says get up, get out. And he says because if this works, I'm not going to, you know, go in and take a chance on you know doing all this, having to be successful, and you be out of shape. So you know I got up and you know that we went over and and he started training with me, and got me up every day and and uh, you know worked me into it and. You know, the 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 more uh, the more I did it, the better shape I got into. The more my mind got right, uh, and until 
he finally, you know, told me after, let's see, I think it was like eight or nine weeks, he says, he says, I'm going to change your cast, and he says, I want you to go hit on a backboard, you know, and, or, have, or have Brett uh, and Aubrey throw you balls like, you know, when, when I first began as a beginner, and, and, and that's the way I got back into it. Uh, it, was, it was an incredible experience. I mean, do, would I want to go through it again? No, because I, I wasted a year and, you know, everything else that, uh, that, that I had to go through to do that. But the, the experience to get me through there, I, I knew then just how precious that time was. You know, that, that to give up a year, especially at that age, you know, I was in my late 30s, uh, 38, something like that, then to have to give up a year then, you know, was, uh, you know, was, a, was a total waste. Uh, and, and, and to be able to go out and, and play again, I, I was not going to let that go by if, if I was able to play. And, and uh, from the very first day that Doc got me out there, I said, you know, my mind got straight and, and I had one goal. And and that goal was that if I could go play was to 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 make a make some noise some noise at the U.S. Open and uh, you know I played the French had some success played Wimbledon had a little success but you know once I got to the U.S. Open I felt if you know if I could win a match or so I get stuck in the tournament maybe I could make a little noise and. Uh, uh, a little noise, you know, came my way, which was which was pretty good. It's amazing, Jimmy. The thing I'm struck by with that story is, at that age, at 38, given what you'd already accomplished, you didn't need to do that. You didn't need to put yourself out there. You didn't need to go through the pain, the rehab, the surgery. But then again, that's always been your entire life yeah, and your I whole career. Yeah, I did have to do that, though. Yeah, you know? did, exactly. I was going to go there. Answer that for me. Why did you have to do that? Well, I, I didn't want to be told to go. <laughs> you know, if I was going to leave, I had to go out on my own terms and and know that uh, that I did everything I could. To, to get back and, and to, to try to be what I thought I could be. Uh, and, and if I wouldn't have had that surgery and I'd have just accepted that, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of just kind of gone away with a whimper, uh, you know, that wasn't my style. Uh, you know, if I was going to go, I, you know, I had to go, you know, trying everything to, to get back. And, and uh, you know, once, uh, once I hit that first ball, once I played that, uh, my first match coming back, and I got hammered. Uh, you know, it was no, not, it wasn't a problem. I wasn't there to, you know, to win. I was there to experiment. Uh, you know, to 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 figure out if uh, if I kept going and got a little stronger and what I had to do to, you know, to make the wrist better. You know, I, I was willing to try anything. And, and at 38, you know, you look at that and you say, you know, you're nuts. And and but you know, I I lived my life and played my tennis being nuts. And and there was no time to stop now because you know my time was running out anyway. And and to uh, to have one last shot, you know, it. Uh, I'll I'll never forget, uh, you know, when I when I got uh, through one of those matches, uh, my my friend uh, uh, Nastasi was watching, and and uh, he uh, he he came up afterwards and he says, he, and, and it's been told many times, but he told me he says you got what everybody else wants, Jimmy, and and, and I didn't know what he meant, but but he says you you've got one more chance, right. And, 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 you know, uh, I said, how, you know, you know if he's saying that, you know, how, how do I, how, how do I step around that and say, well, that's, you, know, uh, you know, give up? No, uh, there was no, no give up then. Then it was just, 
let everything out and, you know, hope for the best. And never give up. I mean, your whole thing was if it takes five hours, seven hours, ten hours, I'm not leaving this court until they drag me off the court. So all this work, Jimmy, and you set it up because you want to make some noise in New York and you go to the U.S. Open and, you know, hilarious in a way, you draw Patrick McEnroe in the first round. Given your history and rivalry with John, that was kind of curious. But then all of a sudden, and, and Jimmy, again, you're the epitome of not dead, can't quit. But then you're suddenly down two sets to none, to love, two sets down, three love in the third. What are you thinking in that moment? I know you've never given up on anything, but truthfully, what were you thinking in that moment? Well, you know, things happen so quick that, you know, I said all all I need, because I wasn't playing bad tennis. I was playing some pretty damn good tennis and and, and at that time just getting beaten. Uh, And uh, so I figured that, you know, one one something has got to happen here to change this whole uh, this whole momentum. Uh, whether it was, you know, a shot or a, a, a fan or a call or you know something, you know, was going to have to switch some of the momentum. And and you know, to to be honest with you, I, w- I wish I could uh, remember or go back and figure out what that was because I don't remember. But you know, all of a sudden, you know, my my whole mindset, my whole attitude, my whole game changed because uh, it, it had to because you know being down that far I mean it was you know uh, in doing what I was doing was not going to win that match so once my you know my game changed I became more aggressive I became more confident in my shots I became I became what I always was <laughs> it, it's kind of, it seems kind of crazy to say that but but I, I finally found that feeling of what it was like to be me uh, and uh, you know that you know if that once that caught on, then then I felt that uh, just stay in there and keep grinding. And you know I, I made a living off of being a grinder, and and uh, you know got into it and got stuck into it, and I got more confidence. You know Patrick might have felt a little bit of the pressure coming his way, and you know I ended up uh, you know coming out on top, six four in the fifth. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it was a it was a storied beginning to uh, to a last good run which led to the most amazing two weeks of your career. Like, Brett, Jimmy had sent you and your mom and your sister home. You guys were not there for that. So you're at home. Are you watching this? What were you thinking when Pops was down two sets to love 3-0? Yeah, I mean, I def- definitely was watching. Uh, yeah, he had sent us home uh, the week before. Interesting story, if, you, if yes. I got a second. Yes, please. He, he, he played the Hamlet Cup, which was a tournament that, that happened a couple weeks before the U.S. Open, you know, one of the prelims. And he won a couple rounds. I can't, can't remember what round it was, but he, uh, I think he drew Stefan Edberg in like the quarters, something like the quarters, I think. That's right. And he's up a, he's up a set, and maybe even up a set in a break. And then all of a sudden, he stops doing what he's been doing the whole match. And I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, what the hell? What, you know, what's going on? You know, he, you know, he's been dominating. This is Edberg. He's the top, you know, two or three player at the time. And he ends up losing in three sets. And then we're driving back in the, in the limo back to the city, to New York. And I'm like, what happened? You know, like, you had him, that's Edberg. You could have made the semi, you know, da-da-da. And he's just sitting there almost with this kind of calm look on his face, you know, like kind of just telling me, like, hey, it's okay. It's all good, you know. And, and now that I look back, what he was doing, you know, he was testing his game. You know, he was up a set in a break on a top three player, you know. And, and I think what he wanted to do is, you know, make sure his game was okay, you know, and then he didn't want to waste all the energy by making another round or making the semis or the finals. You know, he was saving himself for the U.S. Open. You know, so much of his 
year and a half before that, had been focused on the U.S. Open. And so he figured he had had his, you know, his game was in order. You know, if he can get up a set and a break on the top three player, then, you know, he's definitely ready to play the U.S. Open. So that always sticks out in my mind that, you know, two weeks before, you know, he was already thinking about, you know, his first-round opponent. See, it's, it's a great story because, Jimmy, you never – that's the thing. Like, I mean, like any other great athlete, you're going to go out there and get hammered sometimes, but you were never not prepared. I mean, never, ever not prepared. And I talked to Kurt Warner earlier today on my radio program, and I think both you guys could really relate to this, Jimmy, especially you. Kurt was talking about how he's loved – he loved the film work. He loved the mental game. He loved to think his way through a game. And I know you love to think your way through around a, around a match and to figure it out. If I were to ask you, Jimmy, what was your strongest tool then? Was it your game? Was it your mind or was it your heart? Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel that uh, you know the intangibles are are one thing that uh, you know, especially in tennis, don't get enough credit. You know, if if you look at the game, Jim, you know, you go out there, everybody plays great tennis. They hit the ball well, and and but it's it's uh, those who have you know the the will, the strong mind, and the heart, the guts, and. You know, and, and uh, you know to to understand what it's like when you get in a situation. You know uh, how to handle it, uh, how to go about it. You know, don't waste your energy, don't waste your time. You know, everything is done for a purpose. Uh, and uh, you know, you asked me, you know, what was good. Certainly, you know, to to win tennis matches and especially Grand Slam tournaments, which are two weeks. So, you know, playing three out of five sets, you've got to be doing everything well. Uh, playing the game and 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 being a good mental state, but if you if you leave out that that uh, that intestinal fortitude, you know what you have inside that uh, you, can, you can that can never be let out uh, left left off the table because you know when you got somebody who's got that that's willing to go out there and stay and play five six hours with you no matter what, you know that wears on the other guy as much as it's wearing on you know what would wear on me. And, and but I was prepared for it, uh, and uh, you know to you know I, I hate to give you a flippant answer that yeah it was all three but you know to you know especially at, at uh, you know getting later on in life and missing a uh, you know in my career and, and uh, missing a year before you know I, I I had to to adjust you know to go into that tournament if I was going to stay and, and play into the second week and. I, I did a few things very well, uh, and and was able to uh, abide my time well on the courts. I became more aggressive and and didn't uh, stay so much on the baseline. So I tried to get into the net a little bit more. I remember but, that. But but what I had inside, I wish I <laughs> I wish I still had that in a lot of things. I miss that. Uh, and and uh, and and I, I want to uh, you know I, I I love the Rocky movies, Jim, and you know anything that has to do with sports. But there was one line in the last Rocky, uh, and and he was gonna just go in, and, and and I remember him saying, he says, sometimes I just can't breathe, and because because it's down there, because you you never really get get that out of your system, you know, and and. To, to because you miss the the training and you miss the travel you miss the matches you miss the glory you miss the you know the getting hammered you you know to you miss all that you know and, and sometimes in in unless you are lucky uh, and and I have been very lucky because I was able to to play you know until I was 50 so I got it all out of my system 
But if I wouldn't have been able to come back and play after that wrist, wrist surgery, I would have had that in me, that, that I can't breathe, because I, I, I wouldn't have gotten it out of my system. And I'll never, you know, I, I go back to that line because it's true. Uh, and and, and uh, to have that in a movie, because you usually wouldn't hear that from somebody unless they were one of the guys out there doing the grinding and playing and being one of the players. But it was in a movie, and I've never heard anybody else say it that way. But, but I, I could identify with that because it's, uh, you know, walking away from something that you put your you know, you put your whole life into and, and your whole being to try to be the best at something, and all of a sudden it comes to an end. And, and uh, you know, sometimes that's tough to take. And, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of these young athletes today, I hope they understand that, you know, this could be over in the blink of an eye also, that uh, things happen. And, and uh, you know, so appreciate every day and, and work at it every day and give it your best every day because when it's over, it's over. Uh, and uh, there's, no, there's no going back and saying, I wish I could take that again. So you have to live with that. And, and uh, my, my, uh, my what-ifs, I don't have one what-if. Uh, and, and that... Uh, and that's uh, pretty good for my mental state. Oh, that's amazing. What a powerful message. So, Brett, you ultimately picked golf over tennis. So what was it like playing golf with your dad on the way up? And what was it like the first time you beat him on the golf course? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I played tennis, you know, till I was about 13, 14. And I tried to play both sports for a year in high school, and it was too much. So I, I was definitely better at golf. So I went with the golf. And, um, you know, he took me every day, he picked me up from school, you know, once, you know, once he was little, uh, once he was done on tour and we'd go hit balls and we'd play nine holes before dinner, you know, and he would always beat me, beat me, beat me. And then, uh, I can't remember how old I was, maybe, you know, 14, something like that, you know, and I finally beat him. And, uh, you know, part of me was excited, but part of me was almost like, you know, oh, you know, you know, wow, I beat him all now. Is he going to feel sad, you know, or something like that? And, you know, I looked over and, you know, he was more proud of my accomplishment than I was, you know, so that just seemed like something that, you know, was instilled from him, from his mom. I think she was probably similar when cause she taught him tennis and uh, kind of had the same story with him when he beat her the first time. Yeah, it, it didn't take him long to beat me. He's, he's <laughs> a little modest, Jim. It didn't take him long. He's, you know, he learned right from the very beginning and, uh, you know, took, took the lessons and, you know, had, had everything uh, uh, from the basics down you know, and learned it the right way, and, and there's, there's no substitute for that. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, me with the tennis, you know, I got, I got the good basics early, and then you kind of go on and sprout your wing, wings and do other, you know, and move on and try to become better, and that's uh, exactly what he did. And, and uh, you know, all, all through high school, he got nothing but better, and, and uh, it was fun, you know, when he'd take me along with him saying, you know, come on out and play with me once in a while, Dad, and, you know, it was kind of uh, fun for him to still, you know, tag me along and uh, get in the games, but, uh he he had a good game from the beginning, but you know he also uh, you know had had talent in the tennis too. You know he was a good athlete. He was you know was a good basketball player and uh, you know played tennis, played golf, and a, a good athlete. And and uh, you know when uh, when he didn't t- uh, pick tennis, that that wasn't a problem for me because I wasn't going to force him into that. You know, it's a you know it's a tough enough game. You know, he didn't have to live up to you know what 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 he would think my expectations were of him. But even more important, you know, the the world's expectations of him. You know, that would that would be unfair. 
you know, so when he went to golf, I was actually, you know, kind of uh, happy about that and, and, uh, and proud of him for picking his own way. I get that. Yeah, I, I think that bothered me a lot more when I was younger, you know, the, the tennis aspect and, and trying to live up to his name, and that, that probably helped kind of push me into the golf more. You know, it kind of gave me my own thing oh, to, uh, yes. you know, to have as mine. And, you know, I look back at the times, you know, those early days where we were both learning how to play is, you know, some of the funnest times in my life just because, you know, spending hours at the course, you know, trying this and videotaping each other's swing and going home and, you know, watching it on slow-mo on the old, you know, VHS recorders and stuff like that was great. I mean, Brett, you want to be your own guy to be sure. And I know you're proud of your dad, obviously, but I, I remember even like growing up in Southern California and, you know, that that's a hotbed for tennis. I remember the junior tournaments. I can only imagine, obviously, the bullseye that must have been on your back is Jimmy Connors' kid coming up in the ranks, right? Playing junior tennis. I mean, you probably didn't shy yeah. away from it. You probably went after it, but that would wear you down. That would wear anybody down. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think when I was younger, I was a little too sensitive to it, <clears throat> you know, almost where I would put too much pressure on myself and get too mad. You know, if someone beat me, I'd be like, you know, you didn't beat him. You didn't beat my dad. Awesome. You just beat me. Right. You know, I, I, I ain't shit compared to him. I ain't anything compared to him. But, uh, you know, I think it frustrated me earlier, but I still use that, you know, competitive drive and, and everything that he instilled in me. You know, as a kid growing up, uh, you know, in my golf game, and, you know, I played throughout high school, and I played a, played a little bit in college, and, you know, I try and still get out there and hustle the old man once in a while. Good. And do you, do you get over it? Does that work? Oh, well, I don't know. You know, you got to ask him what his uh, handicap is from day to day. It seems to fluctuate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's got to. I play against too many bandits out here. It's too tough. Yeah, right, right. You guys, you guys hit Sandpiper. What, what are you playing these days, Jim? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, some of the courses are open up here. Uh, uh, the Montecito Country Club uh, is, is not open, and, uh, and, and the gentleman that owns that club also owns Sandpiper and uh, Rancho San Marcos. So the, those courses aren't open, but uh, a number of the other courses are open now. So, you know, we get out. I get out and I play. You know, I try to play a day, maybe two a week if I can, uh, which is good. But uh, you know, my, I, I enjoy the golf gym. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good replacement. But it's it's not tennis, you know. To me, I mean, it's. Um, uh, I mean, you know, my my heart, my love, my everything is, is still to that game, and and to, you know, and and you know, somebody asked me the other day, he says, "Do you miss it?" And you know, I, I my only answer to that is every day. Hmm. I, I miss I miss everything about it. Uh, I miss the travel. I miss the practice. I miss the training. You know, most of all, I miss the matches. But you know, time has certainly caught up with me many years ago. But but it's uh, it's just that feeling of of uh, uh, of still uh, thinking that that hey, give me half a shot and let me go out and try it again. You know that that uh, this kind of fun to, to to think about or talk about once in a while. But I certainly don't harp on it. You know, my past is my past and. I loved it and I lived it and, and uh, uh, every day that I played it. Uh, but you know, it is my past, and I have uh, you know I have such a great family, and and you know my life now is uh, you know I you know every Sunday I tell my I tell my my fam- my mom and and uh, my grandma and my grandpa and my dad I, I I thank them for this life they've given me, 
and and uh, I'm so uh, I'm such a such a lucky guy, such a lucky guy. It's so amazing, you know, Jimmy. Whenever I talk to athletes about what do you miss most, inevitably they'll say the camaraderie, the camaraderie, the fellas. But these are guys from team sports. Right. Tennis is so different. Like I'm really curious. For instance, like in that fourth round of the Open, you played Aaron Crickstein, another famous, famous, famous match. You guys were good friends. You guys were tight, but. The world's different. Like, I, I'm curious, when you watched The Last Dance with Jordan, and you could see that this guy did not want to connect with or fraternize with the opposition. He wanted to rip their throats out. This is the way it was when you played, and there were such amazing rivalries. But that's not to say that you didn't have friends. I mean, you were tight with Vetus. You were tight with Nastasi. You and Crick's team were friends. How did you approach that? Could you fraternize with those guys, or was it all business all the time? No, it wasn't all business all the time. I mean, it, it was you know when, but uh, but when it was on the court, it certainly was you know. And and uh, you know, I, I'll tell you the the story of uh, of Nastasi. Sure. I mean, he he was such a, you know such my best friend from from day one. Uh, he really took me under his wing, and and uh, uh, we were under the same manager, Bill Reardon at the time, and uh, so he took me and and uh, and, and really. Uh, showed me the ropes at a young age, you know, uh, good ropes and bad ropes, uh, yeah, which was fun. But uh, but you know, with the first, uh, I don't know, I I, I'm, I think I want to say ten times that we played, he beat me, uh, and and the reason being was because I was too good a friend, or he was too good a friend to me, you know. And and at that time I was young, and, and I couldn't separate the two. He could, I couldn't, you know. So. I remember one, uh, you know, going home, and I, I just lost to Nastasi, and my mom said, you know, you you, you better beat him, or he's, you're going to lose him as a friend, you know, because he's going to lose respect for you. And and that was that that got into my head so quick that that I said, you know, you're right. And and from that time on, I think we became better friends, you know, when I when I started beating him. Uh, but but I say that only because from that point on, you know, once I walked onto the court, it was all business. Uh, I could I could let loose a little bit after the you know to get away from it and all that, but when I when I was in it I was in it and and uh, I, and, and I wasn't going to uh, ever screw up uh, and and even though I did a few times I couldn't afford to because too many people uh, invested too much in me uh, my mom my grandma my grandpa my dad. Uh, Pancho Segura, uh, my wife Patty, my two kids. You know, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't afford to uh, screw up to the point of of never giving it my all because you know they didn't invest the money in me. It wasn't the money. You know, it, it was the you know the love and the care and and you know the the allowance to me and going to to take care of my business. Uh, and and so. Yeah, uh, once once I walked onto that court, you know, I, I was a different guy. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and and uh, you know, I I, I like that. I, I love that attitude in me. And 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 I miss that because you know I'm I'm older now and I don't have that release, and so I don't have that. But I, I I certainly miss that every day. I mean, Jimmy, it was so much more than money. They invested your your mom, your grandma, your father, your grandpa. They invested. They invested so much more than just money. Like their life, their life, right. their life. I mean, you moved to Southern California to train with the right coach. You went to UCLA. You won a national championship as a freshman. Like you mentioned, your mom. Your mom famously taught you to play. She taught Brett to play. Like, what was your mom like? 
Well, I mean, she, you know, she was, you know, the, the, she handled me my whole career, really. And, and so, you know, she was, uh, you know, a woman uh, dealing with men in a, in, a, in, in a man's game, you know, to, you know, to deal. And, and, that, and back then, that was pretty unacceptable. You know, so, you know, she, she was beyond gentle, beyond kind, uh, but on, at the same time, she was tough. And, but she knew when to be tough. Uh, and I don't mean just on, on me in, in playing tennis. I mean, in, you know, in everyday life. I mean, you know, she was not one. She, you know, she was five foot at the best, uh, 105 pounds at best. But, you know, she wasn't going to take anything from anybody. Uh, and, you know, from, from my standpoint, I think I learned an awful lot uh, just watching her. You know, the, the way she handled her students when she would teach them, um, the way she dealt with people, the way, you know, she was around the game of tennis, and then the way she was when she wasn't around the game of tennis. Uh, and so she uh, and, and my grandmother, all of them, my grandfather, my, my dad, every, you know, the, what I picked up from, from all of them was, was instilled in me. Uh, and, and uh, you know, to, to say that, that, uh, that just to say that, well, you know, my mom was tough, she was a stage door mom, she was none of that. Or, or she was all of that, <laughs> you know. It's just—it's a matter of how you looked at it and 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 felt about it. But I am going to say this, Jim, that she was for me 110 percent. You know, no matter what, you know that that uh, that that she was for me. And and once I got out there and and was uh, was, was having a chance to make it, she let that be known, and and people didn't like that. You know, they, they didn't want to hear that, you know, that, that she was so far me like that. So, you know, she got the, well, she never made it, so it's more important for a son to make it now. She was none of that. She made it on her own. But, but she instilled in me, you know, the, that what, it, what, that, uh, what she meant to me, that loyalty that, that she had towards me was uh, something that was, you know, you, you could never get in between. Uh, now, I'm fascinated by that. Brett, I want to ask you about the podcast in one second. Just one quick follow. And believe me, guys, I could do this all day long. I'm going to wrap it up, so I don't do this all day long. But, Jimmy, I guess in a sense, like, I, I totally accept that and believe that and embrace that. She was not living vicariously through you. She had a life. You were extremely important to her, and she gave you everything she had. I wonder, it must have been so hard for her to watch you play. Did you finally get a sense of what it must have been like for her when you yourself started to coach, oh, <laughs> uh, she called me more every day when I was co- when I, I was bet. coaching uh, with, with Andy. Right. You know what? Do you, what do you tell him now? I think if you did this, tell him. Tell him <laughs> this would help. You know? Uh, did you think of this? You know, maybe we should. I'll call you later. You know. I mean, it was she. She was uh, uh, as involved uh, from a distance as she could be, and and Andy's success uh, that he had along the way when we were together. She loved it. She she kind of lived through that a little bit because she she had gotten housebound, so she got to you know to to know what it was like to to almost you know uh, be there only on the television again, uh, and and she was she was so happy because you know two people in the world, Jim, that that loved tennis uh, was my mom and Pancho Segura. They would watch tennis nonstop. They would talk tennis nonstop. And any time you know you give them a chance, they they'd bend your ear on it, and and that was a uh, you know uh, I I knew 
then what it was what it was like when she watched me because when I was coaching Andy, I want I I think I was in the stands wanting wanting him to win more than he wanted to win. Sure. And it was just that was in my, that was my nature and and, uh, and and he made me proud so many times. It was uh, it was a fun couple of years that we had. I can hear it in the family, the whole family thread. The thing I like so much about you guys and and I've never spoken to your mother. I never met your mother, but you could tell that. This, I mean, this is gonna sound. Not, not to be flip, but it's a no-hater zone. You guys are, there's nothing weird. You guys are, it's it's pure, unadulterated love. You're pulling for each other. Nobody's better than the other. This is family. This is blood. Like, and it brings me back to the whole original thing that you get to do this project together. Like, Brett, I think probably it's not a big deal to you because you grew up with it. You're in the business. It's always been like this. But the fact that you guys pulled Mike Tyson as your first guest is something. I've done this for 30 years. This is not an easy guy to get to. This is not an easy guy to turn around. And he's certainly, and I've had my moments with Mike, some good and some terrifying. He's not the easiest guy to be with either. When you get good Mike, it's, it's amazing. Mike is like the most charismatic guy. But if Mike's not in the best way, look the hell out. Brett, what was it like to be with and interview Mike for your first guest on the podcast? Yeah, it was uh, it, it was pretty epic, dude. I mean, it was uh, I've always been a fan, loved the guy, you know, growing up watching him play and, and uh, fight, and, you know, and then seeing him kind of have some troubles in life and then pick himself back up and uh, you know seeing him build himself the way you know the way he is now. He's you know he's back up on top almost. Uh, it was a little intimidating at first, right? You know, because you, you know it's the first time I've interviewed anybody. That was our first, you know you know I've done some stuff in my job, but never. You know, never with real hard-hitting questions. You know, usually it's more soft fluff and, you know, weak weak little softballs that you, you know, you lob the guy. But, you know, he was open to anything. I mean, you know, 10 or 15 minutes into the into the interview, he was tearing up and, you know, we're talking about family and then ego and, you know, just, you know, he might be one of the most interesting guys in the world. But it, it was it was awesome. I mean, Jimmy, you're, as a world-class athlete, Jimmy, you know what makes guys tick, what makes guys go. How eager, Jimmy, were you to sit down with Mike, and how'd that go for you? Well, I mean, Brett brought up the story, Jim, that, you know, I was uh, playing tennis in Europe, uh, and and he was fighting, and and, uh, they they taped the the fight for me so that I could, uh, instead of staying up until two or three in the morning, that I could uh, could get up the next day and watch it. I mean, you know, he's the kind of guy... You know, for me, I mean, I, I loved Ali, I loved Frazier, and you know, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Tommy Hearns, and you know, Marvin Hagler. I, I, I got to see so many of the greats fight uh, over the course of the years. But Tyson was was a, was a different breed, a different character. Uh, uh, he walked in the the ring. He, you know, he had a you know his shorts on. He had his shoes on. He had a torn towel over his neck, and 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 he, and he was he, no frills. He just he just wanted to get down to business, and and I love that. Uh, you know, he I asked him. I said, uh, "Do you study?" You know, I, because I I never really studied my opponents. I just took my game out there, and you know, if that worked, that was good, or try to adjust. But he said, "I study." You know, before I walk out there, as I'm walking out, I'm looking at one last thing always, so I know exactly what I'm going to do. You know, and 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 to hear that from, you know, from the champ. You know, and you walk in and you're you're expecting you know somebody that's you know six six and two sixty or whatever. No. You know, he's not. He's five ten, five eleven. But you know, he's a truck. He's a tank. He's just going to come at you and just give you everything that he has. You know, from from the minute that bell rings. You know that that to me. I mean, that's 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 my kind of guy. 
you know that uh, you know that it's like a Nadal in tennis and and uh, you know a Tyson in boxing where you go out there and you're going to have to you know bury the guy to to get him off there and and uh, he was he was fun to watch man man but to, to talk to him and Brett said it right he is one interesting guy and and uh, you know to 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 have picked himself up and you know and, and got back in the game like he has and 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 become you know just as uh, probably just as popular if not more than uh, than he was back then. Jeez, you know, what a story that is. And, uh, you know, uh, nothing but the best for him. Hey, Jimmy, one last thought, Brett. I want you to make sure that everybody knows how to find the podcast and where to find you guys on social. I'm going to ask you that in one second, Brett. Jimmy, but to your point about Mike saying, when you asked him, did you study? How did you prepare? I can remember that era very clearly. And Mike, Jimmy, had so many guys beaten before they stepped through the ropes because he was so terrifying and he was so intimidating. Tennis is so unusual. Jimmy, like... Did you could you win matches in the locker room before you took the court? Were you able to kind of intimidate guys and get in their heads before you even played them? Yeah, but it was unintentional, Jim. Yeah, come on now. Come on now. I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't buy that. Like, what are they doing sticking come everybody on. in the same locker room anyway? But yeah, you know that 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 wasn't allowed in tennis. Come yeah, on. Yeah, of course I mean, not. You know, we were wearing white shorts, white, you right, know, white right. shoes. You know, you know, the tennis. Of course tennis, not. Tennis changed, Jim. Tennis changed in the seventies and the eighties. Yep. It went. It went from a country club sport, and you know, I mean, every everybody um, that loved the game, you know, seemed seemed to just want to be a part of it. They, you know, we we were losing, you know, the real sports fan. Uh, you know, we playing in front of five thousand people was great. Uh, you know, great fans and all that. But you know, we needed you know the hockey fans, and and I, you know, I've talked about this many times to 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 build tennis to to where it has become now. Uh, and and they they weren't uh, the, those fans weren't going to put up with just guys hitting tennis balls, you know. And, and and granted, we were you know we were the wild west back then. There were no rules really. And and did we step over the line? Sure, we did. But you know it was, but we had to, <laughs> you know we we had to 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 try to get the uh, tennis on a different level. Uh, and and the guys that uh, that I came up with and the way they handled it, handled it and you know the charisma and the characters and the excitement that the, that they all brought to the game in their own way. Uh, forget just the tennis, but even you know just just as much Vitas's off off the court life was just as important as the way he played his tennis. God, yeah, and and that and that's and that's what sold. That's what was selling. You know, not just the tennis. You know, you wanted to know where did he go to Studio Fifty Four after <laughs> he he just won a five set match at the U.S. Open. That you know, people wanted to know that because we we were real people. We were real. You know, we were them. You know, down on the court, you know, uh, playing for them. That's uh, and and I think that's what uh, what caught on for tennis in the seventies and eighties that that uh, that they that they felt like they were us down there playing and and uh, you know what a fit. God, it was the it, it Jimmy, was it was person. It was the personality, man. Get it out of the country club. Give us some personality. Give us some rivalries. It was so awesome. Like I, I got tired of asking the question of like, well, what do we do? How do we get that back? Is it technology? Do you guys have to play with the Jack Kramers and go back to the wooden rackets? Is it just too much? Serve volley point. Serve volley point. Where's the personality? Like Jimmy, what was it like to have Vitas with you in that run at the U.S. Open in '91? Well, I, you know, he was a, a good outlet for me because he was doing the TV. Uh, so I had a, uh, you know, I always felt that I had a friend up there in the booth that I could talk, even though I wasn't getting an answer back. But I could, you know, kind of quip, uh, say a few little quips to him, and and uh, you know, kind of relieve a little bit of the tension, you know. But uh, you know, to 
to go through that and, and you know, Vita's traveled with me for a couple of years, even before that U.S. Open, and uh, we, you know, went to Europe. We played doubles at the French together, and uh, and then after after that, he played the Senior Tour uh, with, with me for a couple of years, and uh, before his passing, and I mean, he was he was the the ultimate um, for me anyway. He he was the ultimate. Not, not only player, but but uh, for for the cocktail parties and and the pro ams and and he was the I guy, mean, his, man. His his what, brother? He was the guy, right? Yeah. He was a I dude. Mean, there, there was nobody better. I mean, he he would walk in and and he he'd be a part of everything right away. Uh, and he was uh, I I miss him every day. It's a, it's funny. I mean, I don't say that about a lot of people, but but uh, his personality and and. Uh, uh, and what he brought to tennis, and then everything else that that he got around was uh, was pretty special. Hey, Brett, one thought about Vitas: like it, it's easy to get caught up in him being the guy and the look and the hair. Hey, Brett, he could play now. Like Vitas, he got his size number four right in the world. He could play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he won. He, well, brother, uh, you you know more than I, but yeah, he, he won. won the Australian uh, Open. He, yeah, he won Australia. He was in the finals of the French. Uh, was in the finals the of the Open. Open uh, semifinals yep. of Wimbledon. Uh, Davis Cup. Uh, I mean, he's he's had a, a Hall of Fame career, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> there's a lot of guys in there with a lot less, uh, you know, that are that are in the Hall of Fame. That uh, and, and not to have Vitas in there is uh, is, is a sin. Hey, Brett, I normally don't keep guys this long, and you guys are now in this game. So you know how this goes. But that's how much fun that was, and I so appreciate it, Brett. If people want to find the podcast, where do they go to find it? And if they want to find you guys on social, where do they go to find you guys on social? Yeah, we're uh, we're available on all the the major podcast platforms: uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, yeah, on Twitter you can follow us at ADV Connors, and uh, Instagram uh, you can spell it all out at Advantage Connors, and we have a YouTube channel at Advantage Connors. So you can follow us all there and uh, check out the podcast and, and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you guys. I love that. So, how is your photography business? It's good, man. It's uh, it's tough right now, just not being sure. able to travel and do so much. But uh, you know, I still I still get out there. You know, I love love taking pictures, and you know, I'm a dork. I got a drone, and I fly that around when I when I get a chance. And you know, it's fun. I love doing it. It's uh, and if I can make a little money on the side doing it too, it's it's great. What a blast. Jimmy, that was so fun. I, I Again, I, I didn't mean to take so much time, but it was so great to get caught up. Great to meet Brett and have him on the program. Jimmy, that was so much fun. Brett, fun. I really appreciate you, too. That was great. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Jim. Good being Thanks, with Jim. You. Appreciate take care. it. Later, guys. My thanks to the Connors, Jimmy and Brett both. What an amazing conversation that was. That was an absolute blast. And make sure you find their podcast, Advantage Connors, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit them up on Twitter. Let them know what you thought of what you just heard. I'm back next week with another episode like I always am. So make sure you get subscribed right now. Until then, here are your coveted voicemails. First new message. My dad is 83 years old, African-American male. He gets together with some old high school buddies at Long Beach where he was one of the or the only black person there. They get together and they had a brunch last year. And to make a long story short, the homeowner had to take off for a minute. And my dad, he goes into the backyard to pick a lemon off of his friend's lemon tree and his neighbor sees him. She calls the cops. They cordoned off the block and yelled to my father in a megaphone to come out with his hands up. He's on the ground, handcuffed. Finally, the neighbor, the homeowner, sees this from a block away, comes out, 
lets the police know what's going on, and they let him go. This is not 1960, 1970. This is last year. Blows me away, Rome. That's just kind of a sense as to what we have going on. I appreciate what you're doing on the show, man. This is great. We need to talk about these issues. Thank you. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome. It's your mate, Elk. Get on ya. Just want to let you know, me and the fellas here, we're going to go out later tonight and get some cat. I think John Daly's going to be there with us. I mean, you're going to call Monty. So we get some custard up in here, you know what I mean, mate? Anyways, you know the number. Give me a ring. Peace. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmy Rome. This is Jim from Ohio. I'm laughing my fucking ass off. What you did to uh, Fabian and Parody Larry. It was the best hit you've done. I'm crying. I'm dying, dude. Uh, I love it. I'm glad you can make me laugh during this pandemic. Keep up the good work, brother. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jimmy. Johnny in Texas. What's going on, man? Appreciate the show today. Thanks for hitting that topic. I'm totally on board. And any clone who doesn't want to follow you because they don't like you covering social issues, see ya. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. Peace. I'm out, brother. Message saved. Next message. Romage. Justin in Melbourne. Hey, Narkbra, congratulations on having the first smack-off promo video. But you said it best. You said you're going to be watching that thing from your hot tub. Uh, do us a favor. Stay in the tub and don't make that phone call that day. In fact, the only bra I want to be hearing from is Fake Silk introducing once again Joe Paul Mary, the hot dog king of Maine. Come on. Message deleted. Next message. Jim, 21-year listener to your show. I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and I just want to thank you for the show you've done today. I think it's actually the most important show you've done. I know you say that you're a sports talk show host, but you have a big microphone, and I think you're a very intelligent and insightful person, and with intelligence and the microphone carries a big responsibility, and you've carried out that responsibility very well. I've never called your show, but uh, I felt so strongly about this, I was compelled to call. Thank you very much. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome. My name is Tina. I live in La Mesa, where the riots happened. And I'm telling you, there are small businesses crying and freaking out because their businesses were looted and vandalized. It's ridiculous. Something's got to change. In 1992, if they would have prosecuted those cops that beat Rodney King that was live on the air for the world to see, things would have been different now. Thank you. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Jim fucking Rome. Just want to say thank you for the Brandon Boyd podcast. That was fucking epic. I can never call a show because I have a mouth that makes truckers blush and send sailors running from the bar covering their ears. But I got to set fire to my thesaurus because it did me no good in that interview. I do want to get on the Brandon Boyd and Jim Rome mailing list for your guys' book club. That would be fucking awesome. I believe there's nobody you can't interview, although I think the one area you haven't tapped, you've got to interview someone from the adult film industry. Make it happen. Message saved. You have no more messages.